Section 21 of Army Letters from an Officer's Wife, 1871-1888. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. Army Letters from an Officer's Wife, 1871-1888 by Francis Rowe. Section 21, Letters from 1888, Part 2. Camp near Uinta Mountains, Wyoming Territory, August 1888. To be back in the mountains and in camp is simply glorious, and to see soldiers walking around, wearing the dear old uniform, just as we used to see them, makes one feel as though old days had returned. The two colored men, chef and butler, rather destroy the technique of a military camp, but they seem to be necessary adjuncts, and besides, we are not striving for harmony and effect, but for a fine outing, each day to be complete with its own pleasures. It was a novel experience to come to the mountains in a private car. The camp is very complete, as the camp of a department commander should be, and we have everything for our comfort. We are 14 miles from the Union Pacific Railroad and 6 from Fort Bridger, from which post our tents and supplies came. Our ice is sent from there also, and of course the enlisted men are from that garrison. The party consists of General and Mrs. Bork, Mrs. Hall, Mrs. Bork's sister, Mrs. Ord of Omaha, General Stanley Paymaster, Captain Rives, Judge Advocate, both of the department staff, Lieutenant Travis, junior aide-de-camp, Faye, and myself. Mrs. Ord is a pretty woman, always wears dainty gowns, and is a favorite with Omaha society people. I know her very well. Still, I hesitated about wearing my short-skirted outing suit, fearing it would shock her. But a day or two after we got here, she said to me, "'What are we to do about those fish, Mrs. Ray?' I always catch the most fish wherever I go, but I hear that you are successful also. So with high spirits we started out by ourselves that very morning, everyone laughing and betting on our number of fish as we left camp. I wore the short skirt, but Mrs. Ord had her skirts pinned so high I felt that a tuck or two should be taken in mine to save her from embarrassment. The fishing is excellent here and each one had every confidence in her own good luck, for the morning was perfect for trout fishing. Once I missed Mrs. Ord, and pushing some bushes back where I thought she might be, I saw a most comical sight. Lying flat on the ground, hat pushed back, and eyes peering over the bank of the stream, was Mrs. Ord, the society woman. I could not help laughing, she was so ridiculous in that position, which the pinned-up dress made even more funny. But she did not like it, and looking at me most reproachfully said, You have frightened him away, and I almost had him. She had been in that position a long time, she said, waiting for a large trout to take her hook. The race for honors was about even that day, and there was no cause for envy on either side, for neither Mrs. Ord nor I caught one fish. Our camp is near Smith's Fork of Snake River, and not far from the camp is another fork that never has fish in it, so everyone tells us. 
That seemed so strange, for both streams have the same water from the stream above and the same rocky beds. One day I thought I would try the stream, as Smith's Fork was so muddy we could not fish in that. There had been a storm up in the mountains that had caused both streams to rise, so I caught some grasshoppers to bait with, as it would be useless, of course, to try flies. I walked along the banks of the swollen stream until I saw a place where I thought there should be a trout, and to that little place the grasshopper was cast, when, snap, went my leader. I put on another hook and another grasshopper, but the result was precisely the same. So I concluded there must be a snag there, although I had supposed that I knew a fish from a snag. I tried one or two other places, but there was no variation, and each time I lost a leader and hook. In the meantime, a party had come over from camp, Faye among them, and there had been much good advice given me, and each one had told me that there were no fish ever in that stream. Then they went on up and sat down on the bank under some trees. I was very cross, for it was not pleasant to be laughed at, particularly by women who had probably never had a rod in their hands, and I felt positive that it had been fish that had carried off my hooks, and I was determined to ascertain what was the matter. So I went back to our tent and got a very long leader, which I doubled a number of times. I knew that the thickness would not frighten the fish, as the water was so cloudy. I fixed a strong hook to that, upon which was a fine grasshopper, and going to one of the places where my friends said that I had been snagged, I cast it over, and away it all went, which proved that I had caught something that could at least act like a fish. I reeled it in, and in time landed the thing, a splendid large trout. My very first thought was of those disagreeable people who had laughed at me, Fay first of all. So after them I went, carrying the fish, which gained in weight with every step. Their surprise was great, and I could see that Fay was delighted. He carried the trout to camp for me, and I went with him, for I was very tired. The next morning I went to that stream again, taking with me a book of all sorts of flies and some grasshoppers. The department commander went over also. He asked me to show him where I had lost the hooks, but I said, if you fish in those places, you will be laughed at more than I was yesterday. He understood and went further down. The water was much more clear, but still flies could not be seen, so I used the scorned grasshopper. In about two hours I caught sixteen beautiful trout, which weighed in mass a little over twenty-five pounds. I cast in the very places where I had lost hooks, and almost every time caught a fish. I left them in the shade in various places along the stream, and Faye and a soldier brought them to camp. A fine display they made, spread out on the grass, for they seemed precisely the same size. The general caught two large and several small trout. Those were all that day. It was most remarkable that I should have found the only good places in the stream at a time when the water was not clear. Not only the right places, but the one right day, for not one trout has been caught there since. Perhaps with the high water the fish came up from Snake River, 
although trout are supposed to live in clear water. We can dispose of any number of birds and fish here, for those that are not needed for our own large mess can be given to the soldiers, and we often send chicken and trout to our friends at Fort Bridger. The further one goes up the stream, the better the fishing is. That is, the fish are more plentiful, but not as large as they are here. About 16 miles up, almost in the mountains, was General Crook's favorite fishing ground, and when he was in command of the department, he and General Stanley, who is also an expert fisherman, came here many times. Consequently, General Stanley is familiar with the country about here. The evening after my splendid catch, General Stanley said that he would like to have Mrs. Ord and me go with him up the stream several miles, and asked if I would be willing to give Mrs. Ord the stream, as she had never used a fly, adding that she seemed a little piqued because I had caught such fine fish. I said at once that I would be delighted to give her the lead, although I knew, of course, that whoever goes second in a trout stream has very poor sport. But the request was a compliment, and besides, I had caught enough fish for a while. The next day we made preparations, and early on the morning of the second we started. The department commander had gone to Omaha on official business, so he was not with us, and Faye did not go, but the rest of the party went twelve miles and then established a little camp for the day, and there we left them. Mrs. Ord and I, and General Stanley, with a driver, got on a buckboard drawn by two mules, and went five miles further up the stream, until, in fact, it was impossible for even a buckboard to go along the rocky trail. There we were expected to take the stream, and as soon as we left the wagon, Mrs. Ord and I retired to some bushes to prepare for the water. I had taken the tuck in my outing skirt, so there was not much for me to do, but Mrs. Ord pulled up and pinned up her serge skirt in a way that would have made a small fortune to a cartoonist. When we came from the bushes, rods in hand, the soldier driver gave one bewildered stare and then almost fell from his seat. He was too respectful to laugh outright and thus relieve his spasms, but he would look at us from the side of his eye, turn his face from us and fairly double over, then another quick look, and another double down again. Mrs. Ord laughed, and so did I. She is quite stout, and I am very thin, and I suppose the soldier did see funny things about us. We saw them ourselves. I shall never forget my first step in that water. It was as chilling as if it had been running over miles of ice, and by comparison the August sun seemed fiery. But these things were soon forgotten, for at once the excitement of casting a fly began. It is almost as much pleasure to put a little fly just where you want it as it is to catch the fish. My rod and reel were in perfect condition, Faye had seen to that, and my book of flies was complete, and with charming companions and a stream full of trout, a day of unusual pleasure was assured. We were obliged to wade every step as the banks of the stream had walls of boulders and thick bushes. Most of the stream was not very deep, but was a foamy, roaring torrent, rushing over the small rocks and around the large ones, with little, still, dark places along the banks, ideal homes for the mountain trout. 
We found a few deep pools that looked most harmless, but the current in them was swift and dangerous to those who could not always keep their balance. It was most difficult for me to walk on the slippery stones at first, and I had many a fall, but Mrs. Ord, being heavy, avoided upsets very nicely. At times we would be in water above our waists, and then Mrs. Ord and I would fall back with General Stanley for protection, who alternately praised and laughed at us during the whole day. Mrs. Ord was very quick to learn where and how to cast a fly, and I was delighted to let General Stanley see that grasshoppers were not at all necessary to my success in fishing. We sat upon a big flat rock at luncheon, and were thankful that General Stanley was a tall man and could keep the box of sandwiches from getting wet. When we toppled over, he always came to our assistance, so at times his wading boots were not of much use to him. Mrs. Ord was far ahead of me in number of fish, and General Stanley said that I had better keep up with her if I wished. The stream had broadened out some, so finally Mrs. Ord whipped the left side, which is easier casting, and I whipped the right. We waded down the entire five miles, and Mrs. Ord, who had the stream most of the time, caught sixty-four trout, and I caught fifty-six, and General Stanley picked up fourteen after our splashing and frightening away the fish we did not catch. The trout were small but wonderfully full of fight in that cold water. Of course, General Stanley carried them for us. The driver had been ordered to keep within call on the trail, as General Stanley thought it would be impossible for Mrs. Ord and me to wade the five miles. But the distance seemed short to us. We never once thought of being tired, and it was with great regret we reeled in our lines. There was a beaver dam above the picnic camp, and before we came to it I happened to get near the bank, where I saw in the mud the impression of a huge paw. It was larger than a tea plate and was so fresh one could easily see where the nails had been. I asked General Stanley to look at it, but he said, That? Oh, that is only the paw of a cub. He has been down after fish. At once I discovered that the middle of the stream was most attractive, and there I went, and carefully remained there the rest of the way down. If the paw of a mere cub could be that enormous size, what might not be the size of an ordinary grown-up bear, paws included. Mrs. Ord declared that she rather liked little bears. They were so cunning and playful, but I noticed she avoided the banks also. We had left dry clothing at the small camp, and when we returned, we found nice little retreats all ready for us, made of cloaks and things, in among the boulders and bushes. There were cups of delicious hot tea, too, but we were not cold, and the most astonishing thing about that whole grand day is we did not feel stiff or the slightest discomfort in any form after it. The tramp was long and the water cold and my own baths many. I might have saved myself sometimes from going all the way down had I not been afraid of breaking my rod, which I always held high when I fell. The day was one to be remembered by Mrs. Ord and me, we had thought all the time that General Stanley was making a great sacrifice by giving up a day's sport for our amusement, and that it was so kind of him, for, of course, he could not be enjoying the day. But it seems that he had sport of which we knew nothing until the following day. 
In fact, we know nothing about it yet. But he began to tell the most absurd stories of what we did, and we must have done many unusual things, for he is still entertaining the camp with them. He was very proud of us, nevertheless, and says so often. The ride of twelve miles back to camp seemed endless, for as soon as the excitement of the stream was over, we found that we were tired, awfully tired. We have only a few weeks more of this delightful life. The hunting is excellent, too, and Faye and Captain Rives often bring in large bags of mountain grouse and young sage hens. The sage chicken are as tender and delicious as partridge before they begin to feed upon wild sage in the fall, but one short day in the brush makes them different birds and wholly unpalatable. We often send birds, and fish also, to friends at Fort Bridger, who were most hospitable the day we arrived and before coming to camp. I had quite forgotten the wedding yesterday. It was at Fort Bridger, and the bride, a daughter of the post trader, is related to several families of social position at Omaha. We put on the very prettiest gowns we had with us, but the effect was disappointing, for our red faces looked redder than ever above delicate laces and silks. The ceremony was at noon, was very pretty, and everything passed off beautifully. The breakfast was delicious, and we wondered at the dainty dishes served so far from a caterer. The house was not large, and every bit of air had been shut out by darkening the windows, but we were spared the heat and smell of lamps on the hot day by the rooms being lighted by hundreds of candles, each one with a pretty white shade. But some of us felt smothered, and as soon as the affair was over, started immediately for the camp, where we could have exhilarating mountain air once more. It was really one whole day stolen from our outing. We can always have crowded rooms, receptions, and breakfasts whenever we happen to be in the East. But when again will we be in a glorious camp like this? And our days here are to be so few. From here we are to go to Salt Lake City for a week or two. End of letter. End of section 21.